On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you hold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Lord, as we come to your word now, would you speak to our hearts and would you give us something to take with us through the week? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome, welcome once again. Um, As I said earlier, my name is Dave Larley. I'm one of the priests here. And um, before we get to the reason why some of you are here, the baptisms, um, just want to share just a few thoughts on our passage this morning. Um, No surprise, and what I'm about to say is not new, that uh, the experience of the global pandemic has affected many in the workplace, and uh, especially those who have been interviewing and um, applying for jobs. I spoke recently with someone who'd interviewed, and they, as we sat down there, we were at the Dream Cafe down at Mockingbird and, uh, and Abrams, and they said, well, I couldn't possibly do that. And I said, well, tell me what happened. He said, well, I stood at the director, of the HR director, and uh, they had just offered her not the job she'd applied for, but the one above it. I don't know if anyone has had that experience recently where uh, not only do you have to do your job, but the one that's above you, that is common for for some. Uh, And the the senior position was actually for the whole division of this company. She would be running an entire department, a huge budget, overseeing a wide range of the company's operations. And uh, in her words, she simply wasn't up to it. Um, But the HR director kind of pressed in a little bit and said, well, Of course, it's going to be a big responsibility, but we can help you. We believe you're the right person for the job. You're the right fit for the culture of the company. You you interviewed well. And we're we're going to change some things around so you get the right assistance. We'll make sure that you get the specialist advice, you get the coaching, the mentoring, and everything that you need to get the job done. So can you do it? What would you say? Now... Take your bulletin, turn to page four, and read this. I'll read it to you. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. It kind of feels the same as that interaction with the HR director, doesn't it? All of a sudden, we're not just doing what we're meant to do. We've given some other status. Well, let's uh, start at the beginning of our passage, and you'll see why that's so significant. On the evening of that first day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, there's quite a lot of debate over what happened there. Did Jesus walk through the wall? Was Jesus able to pick the lock? Did someone sense him coming to open it and we just not given that detail? Of course, we don't know. So it's not, he's just there amongst them. We know that the group that he uh, meets with in that room are afraid. 
And when Jesus enters, what does he say? Peace be with you. Fear and peace. It's an inc- peace is an incredible tonic when our hearts are riled up, aren't they? So he says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he then shows them his hands and his side. So this is the same group of people who uh, moments, you know, earlier in the passage had heard from Mary uh, that Jesus was no longer dead but had risen, which, you know, is a big claim, except that he'd been saying it for three years. So, you know, thankfully, the disciples are as obtuse as I am, and so, you know, just because they said it once doesn't mean you have to get it. So he shows them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. How do you feel about that? How does that strike you? Are you up for that job? It gets worse. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. If anyone imagines that they're ready, I didn't see any hands go up, that's good, because if you think you are ready for that and willing to take on the task, usually means you're in for a a doctoral degree of study and humility, right? Because it's something that most people who've been around the church long enough know this is only something that God can do. But this is what's so striking. Jesus thinks the disciples can do it. Indeed, he's not, he gives them the command there to go and do it. What we have here in John is what the scholars call the Johannine or John's Great Commission. Similar to that in Matthew. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. But of course, that's not the whole story because they could come back at him and say, but we thought only God could forgive sins. And they'd be right, God is going to forgive sins. But he's going to do it through them. God has always chosen to work in partnership with people. And he has planted his people throughout salvation history at the crossroads of the earth so that there would be people who would be able to make his love known. And that is our prayer for the children and those being baptized this morning. If you look around the world today, you'll see a world in need of love. And it begs the question, what is the defining mark of a Christian? In some circles, in some denominations uh, that emphasize the work of the Spirit, they'll say, well, you need to speak in tongues. Others will say you need to... Um, be able to preach really well. Others will say you need to be an evangelist. But here what we see is one of the defining marks of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is the willingness to forgive. It's probably why our services begin with a confession. I like it because I know that by, by the time I've left the house and arrived, I already need to repent. You know, I'm, I'm in the remedial class, so, you know, if, 
you'll probably do much better than I do. But it's amazing how even on a bicycle on the way here, I can have an argument with myself and have to, you know, forgive, right? So imagine what happened in your car on the way here to church. Um, but if you look around the world today at what's happening at every level, and especially the political leadership, we can talk about Canada, we can talk about the United Kingdom, we can even talk about here in the USA, we have examples of what it means to retain someone's sin. I don't think people wake up and decide that their opponent or the person who thinks differently than they do are evil incarnate. I think that kind of takes some time. I think it takes probably a lifetime of being hurt, of being used, of being spoken badly against. It just adds up. And you get to a cultural moment where if you don't agree with what I agree with, you can't love me. And yet we have an example of a man sent from God who lived with 12 other men, one who would betray him, for three years, and during those three years, they could find no fault in him. And he was sent by God to show us what it looks like to love. And at the very heart of it is our need not just to forgive, but also to receive forgiveness. So this cultural moment we're in is really asking, though they may not articulate it in this way, but if you have eyes to see, you see everywhere there is a question asking or a longing for something more. Almost something transcendent that would come and change everything. Begging for God to move with forgiveness. Now, there, uh, if you are visiting, I just have to warn you that there are probably 25 therapists in our midst today. So I choose my words very carefully because sometimes on the way out, I get given an assessment. You need to work on this and da-da-da. Where are you intentionally processing? I'm kidding. Um, unforgiveness, we know, creates an emotional storm that hardens the heart. Um... It's because we've been hurt, we don't want to be hurt again, and if we're hurt again, we don't want to impact us this way, and so the heart reacts. It also means that often, if we don't have that act of forgiving the person who's hurt us, it means that when we enter into a new relationship, what do we bring with us? Anger, bitterness, name it, all the stuff that is in our hearts rolling around. And what happens is our hearts get sick. Now, forgiving isn't easy. It's never, nowhere is it, say, is it meant to be easy. In fact, if you forgive someone the right way, it should feel like you're being torn apart. Because what Easter shows us is that in order for us to have what it takes to forgive, Jesus' body had to be broken. He had to die. And it's in his rising to new life that suddenly there's an ability for those who would call on his name to do the impossible, which is to forgive, to forgive others. But the command comes, the good news, the command comes after the crucial promise. Verse 21, Jesus said, and peace be with you as the Father sent me, 
Even so, I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, often not talked about, misunderstood, neglected. But Jesus has been talking about him all along. His own spirit, the spirit which is the Father's special gift to his people, now the time has come. And the work of the Spirit of God is to go to work in our hearts so that the sickness of our hearts is taken out and our hearts are returned to that ability to love once again. Or as the Old Testament prophets talk about, they talk about a heart of stone being turned into a heart of flesh. The point of receiving the Holy Spirit is clear. It's not to give the disciples new spiritual experiences, though they will have plenty. It's not that they want Jesus trying to set up a second tier of believers, you know, a business class or first class. It's not that at all. But he does call them, he did call them to live rich, full lives of devotion and dedication that is modeled on his own life. But the point is this, so that they can do in and for the whole world what Jesus had been doing all along. That's why in verse 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And that's the clue of it all. How does the unique achievement of Jesus in one time and place affect all other times and places? How does the message he preached which made so much sense in, first, in the first century, spread to other cultures and peoples who aren't thinking about God's kingdom and who aren't waiting for a Messiah, who don't look at the world like he does at all. How did that message get out? Well, salvation, the scripture's right, bear with me just for a moment. Salvation is from the Jews, from Israel to the world. The long story of God and Israel has reached its climax in Jesus. Now the salvation he's brought to Israel is coming from the Jewish world to the reaches of the world. And the disciples are to start the process there. Now the important thing to remember is that there's a difference between achieving something and implementing something. There's a difference between achieving something and implementing something. Jamie Oliver, who's a British chef, you may know of him, he's a bit of influence here, has these one-pot wonders that are recipes that are guaranteed to bring wonder to the table and they're to be, you can cook them in 30 minutes. I've yet to implement such a recipe. But some of you will know if you've been here long enough that um, I have a sister, my middle sister Anne is a concert pianist who works in opera. And the composer has achieved the, the work of the opera. And now all it needs is implementation. So my sister, Anne, is a concert pianist who works with the opera singers. The title is called Repetiteur because she not only helps implement uh, what the composer achieved, through the music of it all, but she's fluent in, I don't know, I lost count, four or five languages, and she also helps the singer implement the right pronunciation of the words they're meant to sing. 
She is an implementation specialist. She's not rewriting the music. She's helping the music that's already been recorded bring it to life. And in the same way, Jesus has accomplished the defeat of death. He has begun the work of a new creation, and his followers don't have to do all of that all over again which is why those who think that Jesus is just a good teacher are confused because they look and they say, well, his followers aren't doing what he did and they're not saying what he said. And that's because our role, the role of the disciples, is to implement his achievement. We don't try to duplicate it, implement it. That's why they need the Holy Spirit, Jesus' breath, God's breath, to enable them to do the job they would otherwise never dream of doing. So it's important to note, as I close, the Holy Spirit doesn't change anything, but he changes everything. He doesn't add anything to what Jesus has already said and instituted, but he makes all that Jesus has said and done alive today. Holy Spirit is the one who implements what Jesus has accomplished in our lives. The Holy Spirit is love. And think about this with me for a moment. If human love can change the life of two people, imagine what the Holy Spirit, who is love in person, when he comes upon a person, can bring about. It's the ability to forgive. Now, when we forgive, we don't make excuses. We don't deny that someone has to take responsibility for the, their actions. We're not saying, oh, that's okay, that's just what they're like. No, what we do is we say, what you've done has hurt me. There's now a debt between us, and I'm handing that debt to Jesus so I don't have to carry it anymore, and he will work it out. Forgiveness is totally different from excuses. And it just may be that there are one or two of us here this morning who have a storm in their hearts. And even as I've been talking, it may just be that there's someone you need to forgive. And I would encourage you to pray that prayer of forgiveness. And again, if you do it right, it hurts. It feels like a breaking. If you need help praying through that, there will be during communion, there'll be prayer teams at the back so you don't have to come up front and go to the back. And they would count it as a real honor to stand with you and pray with you. C.S. Lewis said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. He's not wrong. Not that I've tried it. So let me pray. Because our prayer, our prayer is that not only with the love of God fill the har our hearts, but not only would the love of God shape the lives of those who are about to be baptized, but the love of God would move through this church, throughout East Dallas, throughout the city, throughout Richardson and beyond, and bring about a change that is needed. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the way that you've gathered us here today. Thank you for the way that you've put love on display. Thank you that you've called us to make your love known. And if there are any here that you've been prompting to, to forgive, to pray a prayer of forgiveness, I pray that you would lead them, Lord.
And we pray, Lord, that you would show us what it means to continue to build our lives on your love. In Jesus' name, amen.